Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always today, we're going to have a great discussion. But first, I want to thank you, if you're a regular listener, for being part of our community. Many of you have jumped over to the Facebook page for Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. A lot of people follow us on Twitter, at Cool Podcast. And I just like getting emails from people who say that they listen to this podcast while they're running or while they're driving to work. It really does make my day better. So if you if you like the podcast, do me a favor. Go over to iTunes and leave a review. I mean, we have thousands of people who listen to every episode, and, and we've only had like 100 actual written reviews for the podcast. So I know some of you listen and say to yourself, hey, I should jump over to iTunes and review his podcast. Tom seems like a nice guy. I'll do that for him. And then the problem is you get caught up in your life. And I understand that. And that is totally cool. But today, go do it anyway. So seriously, uh, it makes my day a whole lot brighter when people leave a review on iTunes. And that helps the show get found. It helps people decide that cool things entrepreneurs do is where they want to spend their time. So today, we have with us here on the show, Roger Rickard. Now, Roger is a speaker and a trainer and a consultant in the world of nonprofits and associations. And of course, I live most of my life in the world of associations and nonprofits as a professional master of ceremonies and professional speaker. But what Roger does is he helps these groups understand and better get involved around sort of their own advocacy. What is it that they're trying to promote? And you'd think that would be a natural for nonprofits and for associations, but really what Roger does is special, and he really gets that spark going. And so I thought he would be a great guest for the show because he's doing a lot of cool things. So Roger Rickard, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, Tom, Thank you for having me. It's great to be here today. And before we get started, I absolutely love your podcast. I've been listening to it for a while. And I think that the service that you're providing uh, that shows uh, a multiplicity of different ways entrepreneurs do things is absolutely spot on and fabulous. So thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate that. And and we really do try to make it, you know, uh, fun and interesting. And, you know, I do have a lot of speakers and consultants on the show because you're all my friends. I know people through the National Speakers Association and people who have the certified speaking professional uh, designation. These are people who I run with. And so I tend to ask you all types to be on my show. But that being said, you know, the last episode we did, we had the founder of Zingerman's Deli in Ann Arbor. And that's just an institution. It's famous worldwide. And although he also is a speaker and a trainer, he's also the co-founder of Zingerman's. And I've had so many people who found the show because they found it with the hashtag Ann Arbor or Michigan Business. Uh, A lot of people retweeted it. I've had so many people write me this week saying how much they enjoyed that episode. And, And I know that that episode was a little different just because of the stature of who he was. So we do try to mix it up and try to give a lot of, of different uh, aspects of entrepreneurship. And what I'm learning as I've been doing this now, 200 plus shows, the reality is if we lined up 200 entrepreneurs, we'd have 200 different stories of how they got to success. So today we get 201 with you, Roger. I like to be one. I mean, 201. <laughs> well, I think you're actually episode number 207, but I was rounding <sighs> off. So, 
Roger, I, I kind of gave the overview of what you do, but when I say someone's a speaker and a trainer, I mean, that means so many different things. Why don't you tell everybody about your business? Well, uh, first and foremost, yeah, I, I'm a speaker, but I'm also a consultant. And the business that I created is called Voices in Advocacy. And we we work with organizations and particularly uh, trade associations to help ensure that we can educate their members, engage them, and get them to supporting the cause. Now, when I say the cause, it could be the work within the trade organization, what they're trying to achieve and accomplish. But more importantly, I try to teach them about supporting any kind of cause, anything that's near and dear to their heart. Show them how to be a stronger advocate and it's always interesting to me, Tom, uh, that the word advocate or advocacy gets misconstrued so, so much out there. Uh, most people think that it's only kind of government, the lobbying that's out there, but that's not really true. It's about really speaking positively in favor of, uh, of anything you care about. And notice that I said speaking positively because it's about building up and not tearing down. And, and boy, if that isn't the gist of what entrepreneurs do every day, what is? <laughs> well, you know, that's actually really interesting because that applies to more than just, you know, advocacy for a cause. That really is advocacy for your product and your service. I do a lot of work with lawyers. I do a lot of sort of either one-on-one -on -one consulting on how to do business development and grow a practice. And I also speak at partner retreats. And one of the things I talk about is, you know, the the members of your team, the, the lawyers here in this firm, cannot be telling tales out of school. We all have a bad day once in a while at work. And what happens in, in a law firm, and actually in lots of businesses, but law firms is just a little microcosm of, of where I spend some time, and that is, you know, they'll go out with their law school buddies and they'll just gripe about how dysfunctional their firm is. And, you know, that becomes the reputation of their firm and nobody wants to move there. And maybe it was just someone's bad day or it was just a little blip in time. And so I talk about the fact that you can't tell tales out of school. If you're going to talk about what's going on inside your organization to the outside world, share the great stuff. Take the bad stuff. Take it home. Take it to your dog. Take it to your shrink. Shut the door and yell at the managing partner. But don't take it out into the public. And, and it's probably – you probably see that with nonprofits and stuff too. I'm sure sometimes they accidentally, without thinking, air their dirty laundry. Yeah, uh, they, they do from time to time air their dirty laundry. But I think what they, they don't do as effectively is actually truly, clearly educate people – on A, what they do and how they do it and why it's important to their community. So if it would, within their trade organization, they assume that people know more about them than they really do. And oftentimes that's a real catch. Well, everybody knows about farmers and everybody knows what they do. Yeah, we know about farmers because that's how we sustain our life. Uh, through eating their products that they, they bring to the table for us. But do we know and understand what they go through? You know, talk about being entrepreneurs. People that own family farms are really entrepreneurs, and they have massive issues up against them. And it's important to air those. Well, so how did this become your topic? I mean, like I said, when you when you line up consultants and speakers and trainers, I mean, you, you get a lot of different paths of how they got there. But equally, you get just as many people who have different topics that of areas of expertise. How did Voices of Advocacy become what you do? 
ever since I was 13, I got very active and involved in kind of being an advocate, whether that was working for other social causes, helping them as a young person. I grew up in a family where giving back wasn't even assumed. It was what you do, period, end of sentence. Helping a neighbor, getting involved in a cause, going down the street and, and assisting, you know, working within your communities and your neighborhoods. So I kind of always grew up with that philosophy. And then, as I like to tell people, I've kind of had two pillars in my life, one in which I've been an entrepreneur a number of times with things, but the other pillar is kind of all around this advocacy, majored in uh, political science, public service at, at Penn State. Me, uh, me too. Not at Penn State, but it, I was a political science major at San Diego State. Oh, wonderful. State. I didn't know that about you, Tom. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm full, of, I'm full of surprises, Roger. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to let that one go for a minute. But uh, yeah, so I majored in, in political science, public service, worked on campaigns, worked in the Senate of Pennsylvania, uh, actually ran for office when I was 18 and a half years old. What did you run for? I just ran for a local county commitment position in Pennsylvania. But those are elected and people actually campaigned for them. And I ran against a 22-year incumbent. He had actually been in office longer than I had been on earth. <laughs> and so I did all the, do, the work. And particularly back then when you were running a campaign, the thing you did was door-to-door. -door and you went and talked to people and you asked them about what was going on. And here I was, this 18-year-old kid. Now, Tom, I know you know me, but at six foot eight, I didn't necessarily look 18 when I was 18. And... Uh, so I went door to door and I asked them for support and I uh, asked, told them that when you think that the youth of today aren't doing anything and don't want to be involved and aren't caring, well, I'm here to prove the difference. You have a chance now to, to change that. And uh, believe it or not, there were eight precincts in the area of the county in which I ran and I beat them by five votes in those wow. eight precincts. Wow. And amazingly enough, I got reelected two years later. So I must have done something okay. <laughs> so, so what led you? I mean, you've done kind of an eclectic amount of things, but what really led you into being this entrepreneur? I mean, you could have stayed in politics. You could have stayed in sales. You could have done a lot of things. What led you to this life of being an entrepreneur? You know, this may not be the correct answer to some people. I think it's in my blood. I've always felt that I wanted to do something different. I wanted to be in charge. Uh, I like taking the risk. I like creating something. I like doing things that others say can't be done. Uh, all those things combined, I, I, I really do think it's kind of, I can't say in my DNA because my parents weren't, nor were theirs, but I've kind of always been out there on the side you know, saying, well, why can't we do this? And let's try this and let's do something different. And in every single business that I've started, uh, along the way, it's how do we do this differently? And I think that's a real key component to successful entrepreneurship or solopreneurs uh, because you have to put a different spin on it. You don't have the resources that everybody else has. And uh, you have to find a different way to accomplish the same task or a greater task. So what is it that you love about this life of being an entrepreneur? 
it's it lives or dies with me and uh and i like that uh i'm not afraid of failing and i have failed at different times in my life uh i once had a friend of mine when i was very young and when i'd said to him that i had this desire to be an entrepreneur to do something but i'm scared and as a former athlete uh, he put it in terms that I could remember. And he said, so let's say you start a business when you're 22 and it fails. You're 0 for 1. You do it in 23, 24, 25 years old, and you keep losing. And all of a sudden, you're 35 years old and you're 0 and 13. And the next business that you start skyrockets, goes through the roof. And everybody's calling you the whiz kid and the new, the new guy. Well, remember, you're 1 in 13. Don't worry about the 13. It's always the next game. It's the next time. It's the next at bat. And I've always used that to help alleviate the fear. And I remember that day, that dinner with that gentleman that was a great mentor to me telling me that. And boy, that changed my life. Thank you, Dr. Leonard Hill. (laughs) So... Is there anything about the life that you don't love? I mean, you know, you and I are getting a little older. Is there anything where you say, God, it would just be so easy to just go in from nine to five and go home and and drink a beer? The short answer is every day there are things that come up that I don't like. Every day you deal with different things that you wish. Why is this my headache? It could be somebody else's headache. But at the end of the day, I want to know that I'm satisfied. And if I went in and did the nine to five and came home, and in my case, probably had a bourbon, uh, that if I did that, I wouldn't be satisfied. I would, uh, I'm constantly thinking, maybe it's a little bit of the ADD, uh, which I was never diagnosed with, but I'm sure that there's a percentage of that in me. Uh, But uh, I think that there's always, what can we do different? How can we change things? And oftentimes with regular workers uh, in a nine to five job, you don't get that opportunity to voice change and to advance uh, the entire operation in one way or or another. And as an entrepreneur, uh, I like to be nimble. Uh, I can move quickly. I can respond quickly where others can't necessarily due to a big operation. So, Roger, you know, you had said that you, you sort of were born with this calling inside of you to, to do your own thing. So if someone's listening to the show and they're going, wait, that, that's me. I've, al- I've always wanted to go out in the path. And for whatever reason, I, I haven't. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to become an entrepreneur or, or like, like we are, a solopreneur? Don't be afraid, first and foremost. And it's okay to fail. Going back to the story with Dr. Leonard Hill, it's okay to fail. It's okay to try. Be as smart as you can be with it uh, and do yourself a favor and read and study before you make that leap. Know what you're getting into. Uh, I think one of the great books that I read that helped change how I worked as an entrepreneur was The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And you really start to realize that you don't have one hat, which is either selling or producing a product or a service, you have every hat. You know, you have accounting and you have HR and you have marketing and you have sales and and you have service and you have all those different things. How do you organize your day and time and 
rid yourself of the things that someone else can assist you with while still being true to being an, uh, an entrepreneur. And I think that the second most important thing is there are going to be, there are going to be cloudy days, days filled of rain with thunderstorms. And you've got to keep remembering that, you know, those days will end and there will be bright and sunny days as well and, and cherish those bright, sunny days within your organization. Boy, that is – I'm going to jump in. That is so true. And, I mean, I'm just going to say that I've just experienced that. I had a couple months where my, my sales were low. Now, if I look back, you know, August always is and September usually starts off a little bit slow. I think a lot of associations don't start thinking of their spring meetings and stuff until they get into October and sort of this time of year. But I had an experience where I was like, oh, my gosh, I've just – everything sort of had dried up. And in my head, I had sort of like created this rainstorm that was happening all around me. And in the last three days, I've gotten three inquiries, and uh, one of them was somebody I talked to back in June, and my assumption was they'd gone a different direction because their conference is somewhat soon. And today, they sent me an email and said, do you have time to talk? Because we really do want to work with you. And it's like three in a row within, you know, maybe two days, all really good things. And it's like today, I'm like on top of the world. I'm like, yay, aren't I great? Look at this. I'm, you know, I'm selling like there's no tomorrow. And it's like, oh, wait a second. I just came out of the storm. You know, and in three days, I make up, you know, four weeks worth of income. But it's I I have to remember that that's part of the journey. Well, it is. And you you must celebrate those because uh, when you're an entrepreneur, you feel like you're getting beat up a lot and you can't take it personal. Uh, Everybody says that it's an easy, easy thing to say. Boy, it's hard when it is personal. God, you're, you're not kidding. It is hard when it's personal. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? The, the other thing is you really have to have a passion. Again, another word that's easy to say, but because of all those dark days uh, that come in the middle of all this, you have to have the fortitude and the passion that you really want to drive this and make a difference. I will tell you the best days for me are when, uh, well, let me take one step back. One of the things that I help teach people as as advocates is to create relationships. And in creating those relationships, you kind of almost have to do it old school. You either have to pick up the phone and call somebody. You have to write them a note. You know, texting and email, everybody knows is the easiest form of, of reaching somebody. And when you take that extra step to make it a little bit harder, you create more influence because people remember you. And I will tell you, you know, I say that in in my teachings about being a strong advocate, and that's how you build those relationships. But victories for me are when things come in the mail from people that talk to me about how I created a new excitement and a new influence for them. And you know you're making that difference then because people are going that extra mile to thank you for the work that you do. I I guess that begins, as we talked earlier, at 13 when you just give back and you do things. Boy, that's wonderful when you receive the thanks. The two greatest words most powerful are thank you. And that's an important in an entrepreneur's life. So that's a good segue into the next question, which really is how important is 
the people in your life. And obviously, you know, your example is, is it's the people who, who, who make it all worthwhile. But how important is your network when you're an entrepreneur? Oh, it's life. It is, uh, it is the blood that runs through the stream of the business. You need to network and constantly network. And you need to keep track of that. It, it is vitally important that you, uh, you keep building on that and you stay in communication with that network, even when you think that, well, they might not necessarily need that. You know, you just, you just talked about the success for you and that they called you back and, oh, my God, I'm excited and I'm happy about all that. Well, that happened for me two days ago. I get this call and the lady was kind of cryptic. And I had to pull everything out of her. What's the organization? Who's going to be attending? Why, why are you interested in me? And, and so on and so forth. And then it finally got to, how did you hear about me? And she said, well, one, I saw you speak four years ago. And, and it touched me. And I remembered it. And I did, I'm thinking about what does this group need? And you're what we need. And I said, well, that was four years ago. You know, people kind of do this out of sight, out of mind thing. And she said, no, you must have me in your system somewhere because I keep getting your blog posts and you entertain me all the time with what you write about. And it made me think that's the guy we need. So that is the networking. That's staying in touch with people. That's keeping them informed without selling. So do you think that keeping in touch with people now is easier because we live in this world of social media and electronic newsletters? Do you think it's easier to stay top of mind than maybe it was in 1963? No. I think it's harder. Tell me why. I think it's harder because there's too much noise. Amen. I agree with that. Keep going. Yeah. I I, I just think that you can't rely on saying, gee, you know, I'm going to tweet all the time, or I'm going to be on Facebook all the time, or I'm going to have this great uh, listing in LinkedIn, and I'm going to email people, and I'm going to e-market and all that. You have to touch them in multiple ways. And uh, maybe I'm old school, but I think seeing people face-to-face, we have what we call in our house, my wife's maiden name is Hecla. It's a Finnish name. And, you know, I'm kind of political and I've studied history an awful lot. And we have what we call in our business, the heckle doctrine. If you can be there face to face, you must be there. Because I can't tell you the number of times I've run into people and then they say, oh, my God, I'm glad you're here. I need to talk to you. If I wasn't there, they weren't going to call me. So I'm not a heckler, but that's actually my mantra is you got to be there face to face, belly to belly as often as you can. Now, we live in a world where you can't always do it. But when I work with companies or even when I speak at conferences on this whole idea of of your network and, and getting more out of the world, I remind people that a like, a link, a share and a follow is not the same as a friendship and that relationships are built through shared experiences. Now, I believe the online tools can help if used appropriately, but that's exactly what they are. They are tools. And oftentimes when I speak to uh, groups that are made up of sort of the younger generations that are in the workforce, the the millennials who, who are, you know, uh, working for companies, people think, well, you know, Tom, you're, you're talking about sort of this face-to-face stuff. I talk a lot about the importance of a handwritten note. And sometimes meeting planners or decision makers will be like, oh, I don't know if my audience will relate to that because they're all 29 or 32 years old. 
that's the group that goes absolutely bonkers for yeah. my message in a posi- positive that. bonkers. They hunger for it yeah, and they get absolutely. they get so excited. It's like, like, you know, the idea of, you know, being face to face, being with people. And I, I talk about the fact that the generations aren't that different. We, we talk a lot about the differences and there are differences but human beings are pretty much have always been the same of what motivates us. And my dad, my dad used to have a saying that said, you could go back 2,000 years. You read any story in the Bible and you're going to read about uh, politics and uh, you know, differences between rulers of different areas and famines and floods and hurricanes and you know, uh, lust and greed. Any story in the Bible. He said, no, you go turn on the 6 o'clock news. Guess what? It's the same story with different people. People are the same that they've always been. They're motivated by the same things, and people want to feel like they're part of a community. And I think we've been sold a bill of goods that you can have a community that solely exists online. Now, there's there's exceptions to this. People always come and say, oh, I met my co-author of my book, and we wrote a whole book, and we never met face-to-face. There are always going to be outliers. But I think for most people, like you said, if you can be there face-to-face and really share an experience with someone, that's going to take you farther in being able to, to build relationships. And to be honest, you said it just right. The younger generation, they, they get really excited. They hunger for how do we do this? How do we get back to that? Two things. One, Outliers. Great title for a book. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it, I wish I had thought of that. Yeah, same here. Voila! Uh, But the second thing is, I recently was, uh, someone saw me speak uh, to a uh, Young Farmers and Ranchers conference. And then I was invited uh, to your home state of Texas to actually speak at a youth leadership conference with young farmers and ranchers and i asked the demographics and they said well everybody's in high school ah i about panicked because i was worried that here i am talking about advocacy and is advocacy something that high school kids care about and are they going to be passionate about this and so on and so forth and i kept asking the the organizer and the planner of this you know do we need to tweak anything and change anything and he said no i absolutely want it identical I think you're going to hit a home run with them. I did the program. They were the most attentive audience I've ever, ever had. And part of it was because, you know, as we know, as as professional speakers, it's not about me. It's about them. And they, I made it about them. And they got excited about it. And and they reveled in it. And, And I've gotten a whole lot of, handwritten notes and typed out letters from these, these young people. Uh, they're into it. They're, yeah. in, they're engaged in it. And when we talk, when we bring it around to the networking thing, you know, I'm going to stay in touch with them. I ask these people to connect with me and I make sure I celebrate their victories. So we talk about the networking. Networking isn't about you. Networking is about them. It's the same exact thing. So if you're using those online tools, when you see someone has an anniversary, a birthday, when you see that they have celebrated something else in their life or a new job, don't use the canned response. Make it personal about them. And you continue to be top of mind with them because you seem to care about them. 
Well, and I think it's interesting that you talk about how into it the, the high school kids were and how they, they want to keep in touch. And, you know, it's interesting. Two years ago, I had the honor of being one of the, the speakers at the 175th anniversary for the Beta Theta Pi fraternity, which is the college fraternity that I belong to. And I was asked to come to this 175th celebration in, in Oxford, Ohio. And I delivered a keynote to about five or 600 leaders from campuses. And, and like, you know, they're on major campuses. I mean, there were people from Purdue and Washington Jefferson and, you know, Penn State and, and University of Pennsylvania and Yale and, you know, these big name schools. And I thought, are they going to like this, I think I was 48 years old at the time. Do they really want to hear from some almost 50-year-old guy talking about your network and your brand? Afterwards, for 90 minutes, about 40 of these you know, young leaders from their campuses sat around and asked really intelligent questions about relationships in business and how do you get beyond just you know, those, those links and those follows. And what was so interesting is you would think, oh, going and speaking for your college fraternity, that's nice. It's not like it's going to spin out any business. I actually got invited to two campuses from the people in the room because they were doers. These were presidents of their fraternity. They were presidents of their IFCs, and they invited me to come and speak. And I've kept, like you said, keeping in touch. Guess what? Those young men are graduating and getting jobs. And, you know, the handful of them who I've kept in touch with, you know, I believe that will lead to more business. And a lot of people would have said, oh, why, why would you even go speak at an event like that? It won't lead to anything. But people are people and they want to find those connections. And, you know, college students, you know, graduate and get jobs and, and they can hire you to come to their organizations. One of the things that I think is a little bit of a misnomer out there is, you know, how things are changing in the meetings world and how people want to engage in meetings and so on and so forth. And I call it the old gym like you never knew them. Most of the young people today actually want to get together with the old sages. They want to absorb and suck up as much information as they can from those people. And by providing them vehicles, you know, they, they, they've seen all the other young and, quote, hip and with it type of people, but they want sage advice. They want somebody that they feel that they can trust. And age has nothing to do with it. It Right. And and, and that's great. That's great news because they're getting younger and I'm getting older. So hopefully I can keep speaking to them and they're going to, they're going to like that. So I actually have a couple more questions for you before I can let you go. We're running a little long. We're already at 30 minutes, but you know what? This is a great conversation. I think there's a lot of little nuggets for people to take away. But before I ask you the last few questions, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you all by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Roger Rickard. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, for an exclusive offer to the cool things entrepreneurs do listeners, visit podfly.net slash cool things. So, Roger, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So I want to know what's something new and exciting and cool that you're doing in your business right now? Well, I don't know that it's necessarily uh, new or maybe even cool to other people, but... I want to expand my sphere of influence. And to do that, uh, I'm starting my own podcast. 
Oh, no, not another one. No, there's too many. Go. No, no, no. There's too much competition. No more podcasts. Stop creating podcasts. Unless you're using Podfly, then start to. Listen. We're trying to find ways to engage with people differently. And uh, what we're doing with with the podcast is trying to educate people. And whether it's educating people by dealing with the nonprofits and what nonprofits really need as far as support and how you can advocate for things that you care about, or whether it's working with trade organizations or even corporate uh, entities out there that really have some sort of a, a corporate social responsibility uh, impact to it. I want to make sure that we're reaching them, that we're talking to them about the ways that they can be better advocates. It's not really that hard. It's about great networking. It's about being involved, knowing, asking questions, participating, being there, the heckle doctrine or the belly to belly. Uh, it's, it's about all those things. And so we're excited about the podcast because I will tell you, I have been fortunate. I have some very big names lined up that everybody in, in the United States will know who they are. And I'm excited about that and can't wait for the rollout. You're kind of a tease, Roger. You want to tell us who one of those people is? Uh, you don't have to. We'll just know that you're a tease. I have uh, General McChrystal. Wow. Who, G- General McChrystal. Uh, he is a part of an organization called the Yellow Ribbon Fund. And uh, talk about networking. This goes back to college days. The former CEO of the Yellow Ribbon Fund, I helped get him elected to be student council president at uh, Penn State when we were in college. And so all that time later, here we are still connecting, still working. And he brought uh, General McChrystal to the table. So that's awesome. Well, we look forward to to hearing that. And uh, I look forward to when you can launch that. And we will tell everybody when that is. Perfect. Thank you. Hey, so I have two questions I ask everyone who comes on the show. As we go out the door here, and number one is, I think entrepreneurs are great observers. I think they're always watching who else is out there doing cool things. So I love to ask the guests on the show, not you or someone in your business, but someone who you see out there. It could be your dry cleaner, could be Elon Musk, could be anybody in between. Who is it that you see that you think, hey, they're doing cool things? You know, Tom, uh, I'm kind of drawing a blank to to your question to be very, very specific. I'd have to kind of think about that uh, to, to, to give an audience uh, a, a specific example. But I will tell you, my belief is that if you're going to be a, a successful entrepreneur, you have to do things differently. You, I mean, if you, if you, it's almost hard to say at this point, but look at somebody like an Uber how they absolutely said, why do we have to live in taxes? Why does this have to be the way? How can we connect? How can we create a workforce? What can we do to turn that industry on its head? And they did a fabulous job of that. And uh, I don't know that I would call them an entrepreneur any longer, but boy, when they began, they surely were. Oh, I think they still are. I mean, they're still yeah. fighting. They're still fighting the good battles. You know, I live in Austin, Texas, and the city council decided to, you know, kick them out, sort of. And there was a vote and people decided that, you know, they had to 
play by the city's rules, so they just left. So, you know, they, they're still fighting the fight, and they're trying to find ways to, you know, get through all of these cities that are, you know, kind of bowing down to the taxi lobbies and everything else. So I think that they're still entrepreneurial, and I think they're still fighting the uphill battle. And what, and what great entrepreneurs do is they force change in their industry. So even, even Uber as the example there, they forced taxi cabs to be better, cleaner, Sharper drivers, better. Not or- not the one I was in Houston yesterday. Yeah, well, that, that one wasn't cleaner or better. Well, they're hurting them. That's right. I took you Uber. Know? I took Uber back to the airport because the taxi cab was so you know rank. Yeah, and but that's the point. You now won't go back to that, and that's exactly it. They've changed the thought process. They have forced taxi companies to go out and get their own app that makes them do the same type of thing uh, that Uber does. Not everywhere, and, and it's not changing everywhere, but they have sure changed the landscape of their business. That one comes to mind quickly because you and I, traveling all the time, are in the position of, of using that, and I absolutely love to use them. Ah, that's, a, that's a great example. So the last question, in addition to being great observers – I also think that entrepreneurs want to do more than just make money. I think they want to leave their mark behind. And of course, you're all about advocacy and you grew up in a family where you said, you know, it was always about giving back. So what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? Well, I have my private uh, organizations and causes that we contribute to. uh, And we kind of divide that out. I contribute back to the, uh, we both contribute, my wife and I both contribute back to our universities but that's a monetary thing. One of the ways of being a great advocate is, is the ability to volunteer and to give back through volunteerism. Uh, I volunteer uh, for our professional organization with NSA. I, uh, I sit on the board of the Arizona chapter of the NSA. I sit on the board of our, of our local alumni or organization. But more importantly, I think the most important thing I can do is I never turn anyone down who calls and asks for a minute, for time, for a coffee, because they're looking for a mentor. They're looking for someone to point them in the right direction or show them something. I've had many great mentors in my life that have stepped forward and helped me. And that's what I I believe is really important. Be a mentor. Be good to one other person. So, Roger, if people want to know more about you or they need to know about Voices of Advocacy, how do they find you? Well, first of all, it's Voices in Advocacy. They won't find me with Voices <laughs> of Advocacy. Oops. Uh, so they can, they can reach me at uh, VoicesInAdvocacy.com or my name, Roger Rickard, and that's R-O-G-E-R-R-I-C-K-A-R-D.com. Either way, we get back to everybody that reaches out. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for giving your time and being a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And thanks for listening to the show. If there's anything I can ever do for you, please let me know. Hey, and all of you who listened, thank you, thank you, thank you for sticking with us. We went a little bit long today, but I think this was a good, good show. So I really appreciate Roger being here. And as I say all the time, if it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So thank you so much for being part of this community. If uh, you like the show, tell a friend. Hey, We're going to be back in a couple of days with somebody just as cool as Roger Rickard. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. 
Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>